It's the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. The Locked On MLB Fantasy Minute is presented by Prize Picks. Prize Picks is the most fun I've had playing daily fantasy baseball and winning up to 25 times my money. Download the app today and use the code Locked On MLB for a first deposit match up to $100. Exploring my skills on Prize Picks this season adds an extra layer of excitement to daily fantasy sports. With just a few taps, you can transform $10 into $1,000 if you've got the skills. Prize Picks is incredibly user friendly. I can make my selections and submit my entry in less than 60 seconds. As the host of Locked On Fantasy Baseball, here are some rock solid picks. Opt for Shoei Otani to have less than 38.5 home runs this season. Opt for Bobby Miller to have higher than 150.5 strikeouts this season. And for Bryce Harper to have higher than 97.5 ribbies this season. Download the app today and use the code LOCKEDONMLB for first deposit match up to $100. Again, download the app today. Use the code LOCKEDONMLB for first deposit match up to $100. Pick more, pick less. It's that easy. This Lockdown Podcast is brought to you by Home Chef. Now that the novelty of the new year has dwindled down, how are your resolutions coming? One of mine was to order less, take out, cook more at home. But I'll be honest, I haven't been consistent. That is until I found Home Chef. Home Chef provides fresh ingredients and chef-designed recipes conveniently delivered to your doorstep to simplify the cooking experience and without robbing you of the joy of putting a dish together yourself. I'm Pescatarian, and they cater to a variety of dietary needs. I had this super refreshing ginger sesame salmon, a beautiful trout dish, and a super comforting shrimp and vegetable orzo dish, all of which took me less than 30 minutes to put together. For a limited time right now, Home Chef is offering all of our listeners 18 free meals, plus free shipping on your first box, and Free dessert for life at homechef.com slash locked on. That's homechef.com slash locked on for 18 free meals and free dessert for life. Homechef.com slash locked on must be an active subscriber to receive free dessert. What is up, Reds fans? Welcome in to the phone in Friday edition of the Locked On Reds podcast. I'm your host, Jeff Carr. Today we have an awesome interview on tap with Wick Terrell of RedReporter.com. He was gracious enough to join me for this week's Phone It In Friday. Had a lot of fun talking with him. Got to a lot of good stuff about the Reds. But before we get to all of that, I got two things. First thing, obviously, as you may know by now, subscribe to the podcast on iTunes, Spotify, Google Play, and Stitcher. Once you do that, that's the easiest way to get each and every episode. It automatically downloads once you've got the app opened up. Secondly, and uh, we get we kind of talk about it a little bit in the interview, so you're going to have to kind of gloss over that a little bit, but late, well, not late Thursday night, like Thursday evening, the Phillies traded with the Marlins for JT Realmuto. So the Reds' attempt at bringing in JT Realmuto did not work out. But honestly, and we'll talk more about this next week, obviously, under the different shows and stuff, but I don't think it's all that bad of a deal. I mean, the improvements that they've made to the team they've done without getting rid of any of their top five prospects. They still have Jonathan India, and I still think that he can be a great asset for the Reds. I mean, a lot of people are going to say, oh, well, they were trying to shop him, so he must be a bust, but he's not. In fact, the Phillies 
in the package that they gave up to obtain JT Ramuto included their best prospect, so their version of Nixon Zell. That's saying a lot about Jonathan India that the Reds were a finalist team without giving up their top prospect for Ramuto, but I'll get into that a lot more next week. We'll get into the conversation with Wick Terrell right here. For today's Phone It In Friday, I have the man who is in charge of it all over at redreporter.com, Mr. Wick Terrell. Wick, how you doing, man? I'm doing great. Thanks for having me. Absolutely. I really appreciate you coming on today. And, you know, the first question that I have for you, I know that you live out in the Rocky Mountains. How many mountain lions do you have to fight off on a daily basis? <laughs> yeah, so uh, this is, I guess we're recording this a day after uh, a hiker up near Fort Collins, which is like an hour north of here, uh, fought off a mountain lion while he was running. We'd had unseasonably warm weather and it was like 60 degrees and he was out for a jog and all of a sudden boom a mountain lion attacked him um i've seen i've seen plenty of moose i've seen a lot of bears i do my best to get outside as often as i possibly do and i love getting up in the mountains but uh, i have never seen a mountain lion and as beautiful a creature as they are i'm kind of hoping i never do run into one because they they don't like, just like casually make themselves seen they they generally pop out of nowhere when they're ready to attack so hopefully never <laughs> Yeah, I don't blame you there. I mean, I was just reading that story, you know, and and I was dumbfounded, you know. I mean, it was fortuitous that he found that rock to hit yeah. the lion over the head with, but the fact that he choked him out was just, I mean, that's on every news outlet there is, and it's just crazy. Yeah. But, yeah, if I lived out in Colorado, I would be out every day as much as I could. I try to. It's hard not to. You you get such, you know, you get the mountains looking over your shoulder every single time you walk outside, and it's hard not to see those and want to be out in them. So uh, I try my best, but it's also generally when it's warm enough to get up there, it's also baseball season, which means I got some work to do. Heck, yeah. You know, uh, speaking of work, my first question to you is looking at this offseason as a whole – with the players that the Reds have gotten, the rumors that are even still circulating, we've still got a few days left before pitchers and catchers report. What are your feelings at this moment? You know, it, it would have been cool to go get Corey Kluber or a Marcus Stroman or a Noah Syndergaard, you know, those, those franchise cornerstone potential starting rotation pieces that are controlled for more than one year. But I think the Reds realized when they were looking at those that it was going to cost them – one of their big three prospects to do that, and they just weren't ready to do that. Um, but they knew they needed to get better. They had to get better. They weren't going to be able to sell fans on one more year of 95 losses and not trading or signing for anybody uh, of significance. And so um, with that in mind, I, I think they said, look, we've got to spend some money. we got to get better in 2019, make 2019 interesting, uh, but still have the parts around for beyond that. What do we do? Um, and I think they found a couple fantastic bargains and deals to get the players they did uh, for what looks to be a significantly improved 2019 season. Um, you know, they, they, they got Sonny Gray for uh, a couple pieces that are, you know, uh, replicable with what they've got in the rest of the minors. They got uh, Tanner Rourke for uh, Tanner Rainey, which is a guy who wasn't going to fit in the bullpen this year or maybe ever with his walk issues. Uh, and then the huge deal with uh, uh, the Dodgers, you know, shedding Homer Bailey and getting back the pieces they did uh, with basically a, a cash neutral move. Uh, I was really impressed with it. I, I certainly was. Um, you know, I think they've done all of that 
without blocking Nick Senzel this year if he gets a chance to play center field or beyond if he plays second base or takes to center field very well. Um, but they've made a product uh, or put together on paper a product that looks like it should be much improved and fun. Like, I think they've added some fun pieces, and uh, that's a pretty exciting thing all told. Um, you know, just going out and signing Dallas Keuchel for $80 million bucks uh, on paper would have been a pretty cool move, too. But I, I think they've done enough aside from that to make 2019 pretty interesting but not get stuck with – what could be a, a very large albatross contract for a pitcher that's not as good as he once was. So uh, all told, then of course we're we're waiting on the JT Real Mudo news right now too. If they if they manage to see that, that 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 could change a lot of uh, in terms of uh, how much we're expected 2019 to win uh, and how much they gave up to improve over the offseason. But even that move, if they make it for the reported price, uh, now he's been the best catcher in baseball the last two three years and. Um, you know, you do that, you add that to what they've already done, and that's a that's a pretty dang impressive offseason as far as I'm concerned. It's been remarkable to see the Reds' work that they've done because coming into this offseason, I looked at it and I thought, all right, we're going to jettison one of these top guys. But that's fine because we want to win now. But all of a sudden they flip the roster, flip the team, and the biggest prospect they've given up is Jeter Downs, which is a dude who hadn't passed single A, which – you know, I mean, debatable between him or Josiah Gray or uh, the... Oh, uh, Shed Long. Yeah, Shed Long. Uh, Shed Long going to New York. And he might have been a little bit bigger than Jeter Downs. But the the point is that they didn't give up any top guys. And the reports are that the biggest prospect they've considered dealing is Jonathan India. I mean, I mean... Are you ready to give Dick Williams executive of the year? <laughs> you know, I, I said in a, a post I wrote a, a couple, I guess maybe about a week or so ago, that um, I'm to the point where even if the team comes out, falls flat, loses uh, a lot of games early, and is forced to sell at the trade deadline, I, I'm still pretty satisfied with the way he's managed this offseason. Like, it, it, yeah, there's there's one way of judging. You know, you can judge after the fact to see if things actually make sense and, and, and produced well enough down the road, but you also have to judge executives on what they make decision-wise at the time they make them. And given what he's given up, which, you know, we talked about down and Shed Long, those two guys are second-base prospects, all told. And I think what he's, de- what he's done is say, okay, we can use the depth there because Nick Senzel is probably going to be our second base in the future unless he takes to center field phenomenally well, in which case let him do that. And who knows, maybe we sign Scooter Jeanette and keep him around because we can. Um, I think they traded from a position of depth and got good controllable pieces or good pieces rather for 2019. Um, but really they traded from, from, from depth and that's what you have to do uh, when you're in the position the Reds are in, which is slightly tight budget and, you know, all the above. And I think it's a testament to how much depth they built up in the middle infield to where they could trade those guys and go get what they needed uh, and not really, you know, hamper where they are down the road. On a scale of 1 to 10, with 1 being I'm going to shoot my TV if I see him flip his bat, or 10 being I bought three number 66 jerseys, how much are you buying in to Puig Mania? Uh, I'm buying in full-fledged. You know, I'm, I'm all about bat flips. I'm, I'm certainly not a person who, who scoffs at uh, uh, the traditions of the game and whatnot. And like, I like seeing players clap. I like seeing them scream and yell and be excited like that's to me that's sport like that's you see it in basketball you see it in football all the time like I don't know why baseball is any real difference so for me 
especially considering the Reds have been bad for so long and have been, um, how to describe it, uh, even their best players haven't been exuberant players per se, since maybe Brandon Phillips. Um, you know, I, I love that. I love that aspect of the game. The game's a grind. These guys are working basically six and a half days a week for seven straight months on the road, traveling nonstop. Uh, yeah, show some excitement out there. I, I'm, I'm all about that. And, uh, you know, so I'm excited to see him as a Red be able to do that about as much as I'm excited to see him have potentially 81 home games in Great American Ballpark uh, and how those two got to go hand in hand together. You're absolutely right there with that thought. I mean, when I think of Yasiel Puig and just kind of the the big picture with him, he just brings that pizzazz to the team. I mean, for the last couple of years, the Reds have been, you know, you know, they've been all right, but they kind of been bland a little bit. And you know, to be honest with you, if you're comparing them to, you know. I mean, you know, if you compare them to breakfast cereals, they're Honey Nut Cheerios, right? They're not, you know, they're not quite as bad as regular Cheerios, but <laughs> you're not exactly running to the store to get that specific box of cereal. But Puig really brings a big shot of excitement to the team. We're going to take a quick break from the conversation with Wick Terrell today for a few ads. You're listening to the Locked On Reds podcast on this Phone It In Friday. New game day shirt, boom, cash back. Food for the tailgate, boom, cash back. Even buying around can earn you cash back when you use your debit card. And yes, we said debit card. With Discover Cashback Debit, everyone can earn cash back on everyday purchases. In sports, it's hard to predict who's taking the win, but you know what's guaranteed to win? Discover Cashback Debit. Did I mention there are no fees, period? This one is a real game changer. Check out transaction eligibility and terms at discover.com slash cashbackdebit. Discover Bank, member FDIC. With all of the moves and all of the excitement that the Reds have brought this offseason, this is the perfect spring training to make a trip out to Arizona to visit Cactus League action. We're talking about 15 Major League Baseball teams, including your Cincinnati Reds, all within 50 miles of one another, playing in 10 baseball stadiums, all of your favorite players just in a laid-back atmosphere. Of course, you've also got the guys who are trying to make the roster really playing their heart out. But for the most part, you've got ample opportunity to get a good autograph, maybe even take a selfie or two with your favorite player. And when you're outside the ballpark, there's all kinds of options to go see and do and great food to eat and just really the best way to experience spring training. And if you're looking to make that trip this year and go out and see the Reds in Goodyear, Arizona, begin by planning your trip at visitarizona.com slash spring training. There's even great family options like resorts and water parks and all sorts of stuff like that. So pull up arizona.com slash spring training to look at your options today. Arizona is the home base for baseball fans. Now, let's get back to the interview with Wick Terrell. Looking at spring training, Nixon Zell, what are the chances that he goes out there and he just wows the front office with his ability to play center field that they say, you know what, screw Super 2, you're starting opening day? Um, that's It's a really, really, really big question. Um you know, the comments that Williams made last week about 
that he's going to have every chance and every opportunity to earn the center field uh, uh, job this year. Um, I, I was excited about that because it's a kind of it shows a kind of flexibility from the front office that we haven't really seen over the last generation, um, which immediately it makes you excited about this potential move uh, as well as what other you know now flexible moves they might make down the road. So I was really excited to see that, but. The fact of the matter is he's played zero innings at any outfield position as a professional. Um, and I don't I don't have the top of my head have baseball cube pulled up, but I'm 99% sure he didn't play any college innings in the outfield uh, at Tennessee either. So um, it's not to say that, uh, that it can't be done. Um, you know, you look up at uh, the Washington Nationals, what they did with Trey Turner a couple of years ago, who's their everyday shortstop, and they knew he was going to be, but they said, here, go play center field because that's what our roster needs right now. Um, you look at the Cubs, and they did uh, a similar thing with Ian Happ, uh, who came up primarily as a second baseman, had played some outfield in the minors, uh, but they used him in center field a lot the last two years. Um, I don't think it's unprecedented, and I think he's a good enough athlete to where he'll be okay out there. Um, but that's the big question. He's never done it before. Uh, I think we would have known a little bit more about how well he could have played there uh, if he hadn't had the finger issue at AAA this year and hadn't had the, the elbow surgery, um, the cleanup procedure this offseason. I think we'd be able to know a little bit more going in uh, about how he could hold up out there if those things hadn't kind of set him back. So uh, I think the front office is confident in his potential to do it. Uh, but like, I think they might be on the same boat with us as just waiting to find out. And um, that's, you know, it's certainly, I was right about the storylines heading into spring training the other day. And that's, that was my number one storyline, because if he takes to it, sweet, you've got one of the top six, seven prospects in baseball who suddenly looks like he's a starting caliber center fielder. That's awesome. That's, that's exactly what you want out of every top prospect out there. Uh, if he doesn't take to it immediately though, uh, then that throws into a whole lot of, uh, you know, five, six, seven potential contingency plans. So um, I feel like the Reds wouldn't be rolling that big of the dice if they had serious questions about his ability to do it. Uh, but at the same point in time, until you throw him out there, you never know. Um, so uh, I think if he does take to it, it's going to be, it's always so hard. Uh, you know, it's, it's going to amount to what the better part of two, two and a half weeks uh, to get that, that seventh uh, controllable year. Um, that's such a huge gamble. I mean, uh, you know, you just don't see it happen that often. And it'd be one thing if the Reds were the only team that really kind of tried to manipulate service time that way, but everybody does. I mean, the Cubs notorious did it with Chris Bryant. Uh, teams do it all the time with their prospects that are that, are that highly touted. Um, it's like it, him playing 140 games this year instead of 162, if that buys you an extra 162 games of control over him, it's going to be really hard for them to, to, to roll him out their opening day. Uh, put it this way, I hope he plays well enough to force the issue, because uh, that might be the best case scenario in, in all of this. Absolutely, and and I look at it and I think that you know if if for some reason that he doesn't pan out, and I know that Dick Williams, he, he, you know, you mentioned him coming out and saying that the job is his. It, Dick Williams really even said like center field is his to lose, but I feel like if Nixon Zell doesn't make that it would be awesome to see him in like a Ben Zobris type role in which you know he can give other guys breaks and all that sort of stuff but it it feels to me like if he doesn't make center field and he has to do the Ben Zobris thing then he's probably waiting a few weeks to get up to the majors and really piggybacking off that idea kind of having you know a surplus of bats and things like that that you know they're probably pretty deep 
what did you take away from Ken Rosenthal's uh, article and really, you know, everyone talking about this, the proposed rule of bringing the DH to the National League? Yeah, it's, um, I, you know, I, I've kind of gone about 18 different ways in my, my brain since reading about that. Uh, you know, I've always been a National League guy. I've always loved um the quote-unquote strategy that, that managers are forced to deal with when they're uh, having to pinch it for guys late and make multiple double switches and substitutions. And, um, you know, I, I like to think baseball is a thinking man's game, and the more thought and strategy you have to put into it, the better it is. Um, but I was also, you know, I also grew up when starting pitchers routinely went seven, eight, nine innings, and bullpens were, you know, four or five guys, not eight or nine guys back there. And, you know, barring – Barring expanding rosters from 25 to 27 or 28 or whatnot, and uh, allowing for more versatile bench bats to be on the on the bench and give managers the actual ability to make those moves, um, they're stuck with three guys on the bench that are basically defensive replacements that they don't really want to get at bats late in games anyway. And you know, if if, if other teams and are going to start using relievers in the fourth inning and fifth inning, or even start with you know openers like the Rays did last year suddenly you're not in the ability to kind of make reactionary moves. You're forced to have to play that way the entire game. Uh, and that means you're getting a lot of play, people at bats and potentially relievers getting at bats, and you never want to see that. Um, so I think the game is evolving to the point where the idea of a DH, well, the most important thing I think is that both leagues should have the same rules. I think that's something that should have been placed long ago. I would have liked it beforehand to not have a DH in either league, but the fact that that's not going away and the way that baseball is continually moving, I think it's one thing that, that is probably a pretty reasonable consideration to take on. Um, the other thing that popped in my head earlier today when I was thinking about it was that, you know, between uh, the proposed uh, universal DH and the, uh, uh, the, the relievers must get three batters out um, uh, rule they're considering as well, uh, which essentially, in essence, eliminates loogies or uh, super specialized relievers and multiple pitching changes. Uh, those both seem to be kind of offensive-minded uh, improvements to the game. Um, and, and I wonder if this is kind of almost what has come from the MLBPA and the commissioner's office as a way to kind of take the pressure off of eliminating shifts, which is one thing that they talked about last year and this year as well. Uh, and maybe if you put a DH in and maybe you uh, eliminate the ability to be so specialized with the relievers, that's enough of an offensive concession to where uh, they're not going to ban shifts, which I think is a terrible idea. It, it, the idea that you can tell defenders where they have to stand before the ball is hit, I think is a stupid idea. Um, so I think if, if they kind of make those concessions offensively and then allow shifts, which I think, you know, I don't think shifting's a whole lot different than, uh, you know, pitchers pitching inside to left-handed hitters so that they pull the ball. That's that's something that's been around for a hundred years. Uh, I think that might be kind of a, a middle ground concession. Uh, and if that's the case, and they don't start tweaking shifts at all either, I, I get a little bit rosier impression of these potential rule changes. But um, yeah, I think it's just all indicative of of where modern baseball is going. That's a good thought, and I hadn't even put two and two together with a defensive shift. So you know, that's a good point. I know that they've been trying to limit that. It's like you said that, you know, just telling them how to play the game, you can't do that. Right. But it's, I think it's interesting because, especially with Edgar Martinez making it into the Hall of Fame, which I'm not arguing that he shouldn't be. I mean, he definitely should, but with him getting in, it shows that there's a new way of thinking amongst the writers when it comes to 
designated hitters because, you know, the whole old guys that vote on the Hall of Fame would be like, where's the defensive stats? And, you know. <laughs> right, right. <laughs> and, you know, the other aspect of it is, I think, also is that, you know, if you're opening up 15 more jobs potentially for guys like Matt Kemp at this point in his career or Joey Votto, age 38, 39, 40, um, you know, I think it – it might open an avenue to keep stars in the game or bigger names in the game a year or two longer than they otherwise would at the cost of a, a couple loogies. And like I, off the top of my head without looking up uh, earlier today, I was trying to figure out like, who are the four best loogies in baseball? Like Boone Logan, um, <laughs> like the Reds, the Reds might be signing Zach Duke, but that's kind of on hold. Like, if if and no offense to those guys who've had wonderful careers and I'm glad they've made it to the mid 30s, but if 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 the 25th roster spot is uh, Zach Duke or the Rockies re-signing Carlos Gonzalez, uh, from a fan perspective, like everybody wants them to sign Carlos Gonzalez, like that's you know it it keeps those guys in in rotation for one more year and and looking up and seeing guys like. Uh, you know, Adam Jones and uh, even Carlos Gonzalez uh, or Carlos Gomez and Carlos Gonzalez as well. Uh, Curtis Granderson only getting a minor league deal after a 116 OPS plus last year. Um, you know, if there were 15 more DH jobs, we might see those guys on big league contracts already. And I think that's something that, that, that both the PA and the commissioner's office are trying to consider as well. When it came to the idea of the three batter minimum for pitchers, I kind of recoiled at that, but now I see the merit in it because I was thinking like, you know, a goofy baseball traditionalist. I mean, you know, I even joked about this, joked about it on the uh, Wednesday episode. The only loogie that I could ever think of is a dude who used to pitch for the Cardinals. And the only reason I remember that guy's name is because of such a weird name. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. You know, yeah, Mark Jepchensky. It's the only reason I remember his name is so weird. Whenever he came into the game, the announcer said, you know, oh my gosh, how do you pronounce that? Yeah, not, not only that, but you knew the moment he came into the game that he was one batter away from another pitching change. You know, right. uh, yeah, I think the three batter rule. Uh, it's kind of an odd rule and one that I think is a little bit strict in its construction, but it's essentially a blanket way of baseball saying, stop making so many pitching changes mid inning. And if they could find a, if they could do a handshake agreement with a manager, manager, just say, stop making pitching changes for one batter uh, and didn't have to put this rule in. I think they'd prefer to do it that way, but this is kind of like the, the easiest way they can guarantee that, managers will stop doing that i guess is the best way to put it and so it sounds like weird odd arbitrary and strict but i think the whole point is uh reduce the ability for specialists to play one one batter matchups prolong the game force an extra pitching change and essentially take one out that's an automatic out uh off of the ability for it to be an automatic out and i guess that premise is one i generally agree with Right. And I was thinking of this and, you know, sorry, we're kind of going long on the interview, but, you know, I was thinking that too, whenever you mentioned that you go in with a handshake ag- agreement and, you know, I was thinking about this one dude and it's not endearingly, it's just when I think of specialists, I think of him. If the commissioner of baseball watched up to Tony La Russa and says no more specialists, he's going to say, I'm going to employ 25 specialists <laughs> and I'm going to start them all out in the field and we're going to switch every batter. Right. I could totally see that right, happening. Right. 
Wick, I really appreciate you spending some of your time talking to me today, but I got one last question for you today. How would you compare Coors Field and Great American Ballpark? Oh, that's really interesting. Um, for one, it's full. It's, it's always full. <laughs> and I know Great American Ballpark for a long time was full. It actually was right before I moved in 2012. Um, the Coors Field is packed every single game. And it's in part because the Rockies have been very, very good uh, of late. And it was always a, a very good draw, but it's also uh, in part because uh, baseball out here has just kind of been a burgeoning thing. And so it's fun to go to a game and have 35, 40,000 people there every single game. And that's something I feel like a uh, great American has been lacking uh, significantly in the last couple of years. And in part sure, of that, it's yeah. by design. I mean, uh, rebuilds do that and, and losing 90, 95 games a year, uh, for five straight years, we'll do that too. But uh, yeah. I think that's in part why the Reds made the moves they made this offseason. And hopefully that's something that's going to start to change because when Great American is full, uh, it's a great ballpark. Uh, you know, I've only been to about, oh, yeah. I think I've been to 12, 12 ballparks nice. uh, across the country. And uh, it's, you know, you can say the same about all of them. When they're empty, they're all kind of like, you know, big caverns that don't have a whole lot of life in them. But when they're full, uh, it stacks up against the best of them. And I'm hoping that the Reds are a good enough on-field product this year with some good personalities as well and start winning some games because when they do, those stands will get full again. And it's a great, great experience there too. Absolutely, and I'm right there with you, Wick. Uh, it's been great having you. Like I said, we've been talking with Wick Terrell over at theredreporter.com. Make sure you go check that website out. Got a lot of great content on our favorite team, the Cincinnati Reds. Wick, really appreciate you having me on and hope to have you on more. Looking forward to it. Thanks for having me. That's another Phone It In Friday in the books. Really appreciate Wick for coming on the show. It was a great conversation. And like I said, you know, always endeavoring to try and keep this, you know, a pretty concise little bite-sized thought for you each day. So we definitely could have talked for a lot longer there. But anyway, we got to run. Thanks for listening and downloading to the podcast this week. Next week, we got more great Reds content coming. Pitchers and Catchers Report next Wednesday, Reds fans. Get excited. You've been listening to the Locked On Reds podcast. Hey, Prime members. You can listen to this Locked On podcast ad-free on Amazon Music. Download the Amazon Music app today. 